SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program this Monday, September 4. Well, after the date of the referendum on Indigenous Voice to Parliament was announced last week, there has been renewed momentum on debates around the landmark event. In the program today, we hear from Curtin University legal expert, Associate Professor Hannah McLeod on why a successful vote is crucial how it will enhance Australia's legal framework both nationally and internationally. We also explore all sides of the debate on Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Also on NITV Radio today, the latest developments around UPLA, the failed Indigenous funeral insurance scheme as the corporate regulator has launched a fresh legal action against the former directors of the insurance group. In your program today, we also explore career trackers and its impact in closing the gap on Indigenous education outcomes. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandame Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, government officials question opposition leader Peter Dutton's stance for a second referendum. Opposition pushes for inquiry into the government's decision to turn down further flights from Qatar Airways into Australia. And the government set to introduce to Parliament an industrial relations reform bill redefining casual employment minimum standards for contractors. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has criticised opposition leader Peter Dutton's stance on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Mr Dutton said that although he doesn't support the voice, he would provide an opportunity for Aboriginal people to have their voices heard via a second referendum. Ms Plibersek told Channel 7 Mr Dutton's stance is questionable. It's really strange, isn't it? Peter Dutton now says he supports a referendum to recognise uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the Constitution. He said a few weeks ago that he would legislate a voice. So he supports a referendum and he supports a voice. Why wouldn't he just get on board? We've now got a proposal right now before the Australian people. It's come from years of consultation. And you can find comprehensive information about the referendum by visiting the SBS Voice Referendum portal at www.sbs.com.au slash voice referendum.
In the meantime, no campaigners for an indigenous voice to parliament have hit out at the use of John Farnham's You Are The Voice song for the Yes campaign. The song is running in a Yes campaign and on television and social media ahead of the referendum on October 14. Liberal Senator Michaela Cash has told Channel 9 she believes a key line in the song lyrics supports her position against the voice. The whole point is this should be a unifying moment for our country and Mr Albanese is successfully dividing it. Uh, But I also have to say Peter Dutton was dead right yesterday uh, when he highlighted the irony of the voice as the anthem for the yes case. You're the voice, try and understand it. John Farnham says he made the decision to give permission to use the 1986 song in the Yes campaign ad because it changed his life and he hopes the song can in some small way change the lives of our First Nations people for the better. And regional community leaders are stepping up efforts to create conversations and awareness around the Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. The date for the referendum has been set for October 14 and voters in regional Australia are expected to have a significant impact on its outcome. Deputy Mayor Gerard Power is the first Indigenous local councillor in Orange in New South Wales. He was part of a push last year which saw the council move a motion to support the voice. Mr Power says he is hopeful an Indigenous voice to Parliament would provide First Nations people with a platform to share knowledge on sacred sites and other issues. I think that has created an opportunity now for council. That dynamic has changed now, so having a voice right here in the chamber in relation speaking, uh, I mean, guiding the First Nation people here uh, in that uh, can have a partnership between Orange City Council and sacred sites and their stories and what they are really feeling um, could be quite beneficial um, in relation to First Nation people here in Orange. National Senator Bridget McKenzie has called for an inquiry into the federal government's decision to reject additional flights for Qatar Airways. Senator McKenzie has already formally sought the public release of documents relating to the decision by Transport Minister Catherine King. The move to block the additional 21 flights has come under scrutiny after it was revealed Qantas lobbied the government to do so before posting a record $2.5 billion profit over the 2022-2023 financial year. The senator says the extra Qatar flights had the potential to reduce airfares and boost the Australian tourism industry. Australians want an aviation industry that is affordable, that's reliable and that is safe. And right now, that's not what they're getting. We need to get to the bottom of it because heaven knows the Labor Party doesn't know what it's doing with aviation. A crackdown on the use of labor hire workers paid less than employees is tipped to boost pay rates for roughly 67,000 workers. Employment Relations Minister Tony Burke said the economic impact of the targeted reforms would be negligible as it is isolated to workers covered by bargained rates of pay. The legislation is set to be introduced to Parliament today as the fourth and final core element of the government's workplace reforms. The proposed changes changes would see a maximum penalty of 10 years in jail and fines of up to $7.8 million. Mr. Burke said the changes were not an attack on labour hire as a valid way to plug workforce shortages but were aimed at employers using the model to undercut employee pay rates. 
Economists predict the Reserve Bank will leave interest rates unchanged for a third month in a row when board members meet on Tuesday. After lifting interest rates from a record low of 0.1% to 4.1% since May last year, two consecutive pauses in July and August have fueled hopes of a steady rate. A survey of 38 experts and economists by comparison site Finder found all but one expect the central bank to do nothing in September. The meeting will be the final cash rate call with Philip Lau as governor. Child welfare advocates have asked the federal government to establish a summit on the best ways to protect minors from abuse and exploitation. The National Association for Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect has used the official launch of Child Protection Week, which begins today, to call for the roundtable via a formal letter to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Association Chief Executive Lisa Waters says more attention is required with 3 out of 5 or 60% of Australians having experienced at least one form of maltreatment in childhood, either physical, emotional, sexual, domestic violence or neglect. The association's call coincides with an appeal from the Australian Federal Police for public help to solve a number of unsolved child abuse cold cases. AFP Commander Helen Schneider says she hopes the four background images released as part of the Trace and No Object initiative will secure breakthroughs. The slightest uh, piece of information can lead to assisting a vulnerable victim, identifying new victims or potentially the arrest of an offender. The Queensland government has appointed a commissioner to help victims of crime navigate the criminal justice system. Former police officer John Rouse will act as the interim commissioner until a permanent appointment is made next year. He has spent 27 years working with with vulnerable victims and previously led Task Force Argos, a unit established in 1997 responsible for investigating online child exploitation and abuse. Mr. Rouse's task will be to ensure victims of crime are aware of their legal rights, entitlements and financial assistance in dealing with the court process. Climate policy issues will take centre stage at the G20 summit in the Indian capital New Delhi as extreme weather events continue to batter India and the rest of the world. Hundreds of people displaced from floods triggered by July's record monsoon rains are still taking shelter in makeshift tents under Delhi's flyovers. As host of the group of 20 leading economies this year, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi proclaimed his country will make it a priority to amplify the voice of developing nations. Senior Associate of Climate Think Tank E3G, Madhura Joshi, says she hopes the summit will have a more significant outcome for the environment than all those before it. My hope from the Leader Summit is that leaders have the mandate right, to put forth uh, sort of an ambitious agenda and keep political differences aside. And particularly under um, the Prime Minister's uh, leadership, who's been such a huge champion of renewables, And to sport uh, in football, Arsenal have pulled off a last-minute win over Manchester United in London to stay one second place on second place in the Premier League. The visitors took the lead with Marcus Rashford after 27 minutes 
but it was short-lived as Martin Odegaard found the equaliser only a minute later. The two teams seemed set for a draw, but newcomer Declan Rice found the net from a tight angle six minutes into injury time to put Arsenal on top. Gabriel Jesus created the final result on the 11th minute of stoppages after level a lovely break by the home side. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a sunny day, 28 degrees, Perth, a shower of 2.20, Adelaide, showers easing, 17, Melbourne, a shower of 2, 22 degrees, Hobart, mostly sunny, 21, Albury-Wodonga, sunny, 22, Canberra, mostly sunny, 22, Wollongong, sunny, 21, Sydney, similar conditions, and 21 degrees, Newcastle, sunny, and 25, Brisbane, possible shower, 27, Townsville, partly cloudy, 27, degrees. Cairns mostly sunny 29. Alice Springs sunny 30. Darwin sunny day 33 degrees and the Torres Strait Islands a sunny day ahead and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. TV radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 p.m. or anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation this Monday afternoon. Now coming up next, uh, the latest developments around Yopla, the failed Indigenous funeral insurance scheme, as the corporate regulator has launched fresh legal action against the former Yopla directors. Also on NITV Radio today, we explore career trackers and its impact in closing the gap on Indigenous education outcomes. But first, renewed momentum of debates around Indigenous voice to Parliament after the Prime Minister announced the date of the upcoming referendum on Indigenous voice to Parliament. In the program, we now hear all sides of the debate, starting with our next guest, an academic, human rights advocate and lawyer. Associate Professor Hannah McGlade, welcome to NITV Radio. Hello. As a member of the Voice to Parliament Engagement Group, you were in Adelaide when the date of the referendum was announced. Is there any significance over the referendum date? I don't believe so. It's uh, really, um, I think, a practical date that's been set. It was a fantastic announcement by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, I certainly was moved to tears, as were others in the audience. Very powerful speech about why this voice is so important to our future as Aboriginal people. It's so important to Australia's future, setting a new respectful relationship and really uh, closing the gap on Indigenous disadvantage today. He, um, his words were very powerful, as were the other speakers as well. We don't have um, that much time left. So every day does count now. What can we do to really play our role in a successful yes vote, which will change the course of history in Australia? We have been talking about constitutional reform for over 20 years. This proposal is very solid and substantive. It certainly goes beyond symbolic recognition of Aboriginal people in a preamble. And, uh, you know, it does give us the right to have a voice, a democratically elected voice 
to really highlight ongoing issues that our people are facing to really have a place, a proper place in this nation. I'm committed. I know many Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people across this country are committed and uh, we, we're going to you know, do what we can do in the lead up to October 14. What are the next uh, steps uh, after the date was uh, finally uh, revealed? The campaign is under swing. We know that there are more than 35,000 volunteers across Australia for Yes 23 and uh, certainly Uluru Dialogues are, are very busy with their uh, engagement as well. We'll be seeing a television, a new television ad released. It's beautiful, really, um, and so um, looking forward to that. Uh, we are going to have a presence on the um, polling booths. I'm certainly going to be there talking to anyone who's got questions about yes and why we need to make this change in our national constitution. Yeah, I just encourage people, if you want to get involved, now's the time to do it. If you want to learn more, there's so much information out there um, that you can easily find out about. There are principles about the voice. This is not a big ask in some ways. This is really about respecting Aboriginal people's right to elect, to vote in our leaders. The model's not yet decided, but we want to make better laws and policies for Australia. We don't want to see all this wastage in Indigenous affairs. We don't want to see this country going backwards any longer. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, every day is counting now. Yeah, every day is counting, and uh, this will uh, have a significance nationally and internationally as well. Absolutely. Uh, Indigenous people's recognition in constitutions around the world is not new. Certainly in Canada, Indigenous treaty rights have been recognised for probably more than 30 years and protected. Uh, We know that the Treaty of Waitangi has constitutional status over in New Zealand. And uh, we know in South American states like Colombia, Indigenous rights are certainly um, well recognised in their constitution and expounded upon by their constitutional court. So we're actually falling uh, well behind in terms of our lack of recognition of Indigenous people in the Constitution. I'm a member of the UN Permanent Forum for Indigenous Issues. We're made up of Indigenous experts around the world and nation states, and we've supported uh, the voice, the voice treaty and truth process, and and uh, and so have actually five other, four other UN bodies, five in total, have given support and endorsement because we know that in terms of Indigenous human rights, this is um, definitely a reform that should be supported. It is a significant structural reform. Now, um, internationally in Australia is trying trying its best um, to um, present, um, you know, uh, present a a good relationship with Indigenous people. um, But... This will reflect very badly on our country if it doesn't, if if it shows that we cannot, you know, make this change. I think Australia will be brought into disrepute, and and uh, you know that is embarrassing. That is embarrassing. Uh, let's hope that it doesn't happen, and that we can hold our heads with some pride that Australians have risen to the occasion. We know there's many right-thinking Australian people. I, I felt quite emotional being in Elizabeth South Australia because. I know that my my father actually was born white working class in in that town and in and his end of his life working with Aboriginal people in New South Wales he, he had such respect and good relationships and we have many 
we have many histories like this across Australia and um, you know we, we really um, need that um, that kind of um, leadership and generosity of spirit on October 14. Associate Professor Hannah Maglid, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio about this uh, momentous and uh, emotionally charged uh, event. Yes, it was it was very momentous. I felt very um, very happy to see this. It was like a moment in history, and now we know. Um, you know, we know we have it in sight now. Um, it was beautiful, and, and uh, I have to say, the um, the Premier of South Australia too. He pointed out the state's leadership, including the first state to recognise land rights. Uh, you know, that's something that you know I wasn't wasn't really aware of. So, you know, certainly um, we have risen to the occasion. Respect. We know in 1967 that Australians overwhelmingly voted yes to give Aboriginal people a, a proper place in this nation. Uh, we can do it again. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Now, if you missed part of the conversation with Associate Professor Hannah Magled on the impact of a successful voice referendum, you can find the story on our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Now, Quarizy to NITV's NOLA program, we explore the history of referenda in Australia as NITV's correspondents also took to the streets to hear the various points of views on Indigenous voice to parliaments. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. For more than 120 years, the nation's founding document has not recognised Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The path towards constitutional recognition has spanned generations, parliaments and political divides. Divides, Sarah Tomaveska reports. A momentous day, decades in the making. For Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, this has been a marathon. For all of us, it is now a sprint. In 1999, a proposal to recognise First Nations peoples in the Constitution was put to the people. The referendum failed and the idea was shelved for another eight years. If I'm re-elected, I will put to the Australian people within 18 months a referendum to formally recognise Indigenous Australians in our Constitution. But it was Labor's Kevin Rudd who won the election a year later, making this historic statement. We say sorry. In 2010, the new Gillard government set up an expert panel on constitutional recognition. Two years later, a change of government and another pledge for constitutional reform. I would feel that we had not quite been our best selves if we weren't able to do this in the next term of Parliament. In 2017, a historic gathering in the Red Centre resulted in the Uluru Statement from the Heart. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. A proposal not endorsed by the government of the day, but the now Prime Minister's very first commitment. And on behalf of the Australian Labor Party, I commit to the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. But constitutional change isn't easy. Just eight of 44 referenda have succeeded, all with bipartisan support. The coalition supports symbolic recognition, but wants a legislated voice instead. The Prime Minister has failed 
to actually provide any evidence whatsoever that demonstrates how it will improve the lives of Indigenous Australians. Unlike laws that are decided by politicians in Parliament, the Constitution belongs to all of us. Whether an Indigenous voice is enshrined in it is firmly in the hands of the Australian people. On October 14, everyone eligible gets to have their say. As we just heard, the Parliament doesn't decide the referendum outcome. The people do. So NITV News took to the streets this week, last week, to hear what voters have to say. We start with the NITV correspondent Tanisha Williams speaking to the people in the streets of Brisbane. And then we'll hear from Ricky Garvey who took the pulse on voice to parliament in the streets of Redfern in Sydney. Time is ticking until Australians decide which way they're going to vote. While we know there's a loud contingent of no voters here in Queensland, the people we spoke with today here in the western suburb of Brisbane are strongly in support of The Voice or unsure which way their vote will go. I am at yes, definitely strong yes. Um, I'm definitely going to be voting yes. I think it's really important that us Indigenous fellas have a say in Parliament, especially in our own country, against our own people. I'm not quite sure that I'm going to vote. Yeah, I don't know why I'm not going to... I don't know. I just It's all confusing, really. I'm voting yes. Um, my reasons are I see it as being a human rights issue. I'll be voting yes also. And, yeah, it's, for me it's a question of social justice and uh, overdue justice. I'm still not sure. I haven't heard enough yet about it, so I don't know which way I'm leaning yet. So they're the voices that we've heard from here in Brisbane. Ricky Kirby has been out and about in Redfern to see how people in Sydney might be feeling about the upcoming referendum. Thanks, Tanisha. What we've discovered here today is that there are many people who are guarded about sharing their stance on the voice, although not everyone was reluctant. Yeah, I'm voting no. Yeah, Yeah, so I think as... Aboriginal people here in Australia, First Nations people, we're entitled to far more than a voice to Parliament. Our position as sovereign First Nations people gives us a special status in this country. We should be pursuing things like sovereignty and treaty before we're in a position to advise government. The sequencing is wrong. So as First Nations people, we need to stand in our sovereignty, build our own institutions, our own systems of self-government, elect our own officials, and they're our voice to the settler colonial state. I'm undecided. I don't... I'm not sure which way to go. If they give us some more information, then I could say yes or no, because, I mean, they've had things in the past and it doesn't get down to... down to the grassroots. If you're not at the table of conversation, well, then you're actually the conversation on the plate. So, um, for me, that kind of resonated. So I think it's time that we actually... I'm, you know, like saying that we should say yes and be at the table of conversation. I think we deserve a voice. We're part of this country from day one. But um, the way they've worded it just seems that there's a hidden agenda. And that agenda is for them. And it just divides the country because they're going to blame us for wanting a voice. All we wanted was that, a voice. The First Nations people are the First Nations of this country and we're not complete without proper recognition in our constitution. It's important for us here at NITV News to hear all perspectives. So throughout the referendum campaign, we'll be aiming to get onto the streets and into communities to hear directly what you've got to say.
what you just heard are well, well provided by NITV's Nora program. We must now set, step aside for another break, but stay with us because when we come back, we'll hear how the corporate regulator, ASIC, has launched fresh legal action against the former directors of the UPLA Indigenous Insurance Scheme, alleging the directors breached their obligations as company directors. Stay tuned. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. And that was uh, Attack, Attack uh, by uh, Kev uh, Kamodi. And uh, the song was lif- is lifted from uh, the album Pillars of Society. And when this album was released, actually back in 1991, it was described by uh, Rolling Stone magazine as arguably the best protest album ever made in Australia. Now, thousands of First Nations families who paid into a failed funeral insurance scheme say no permanent solution has been offered so they can afford to bury their loved ones. The federal government has not yet announced what might replace an interim scheme which is due to expire at the end of this year. And now, the corporate regulator, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, or ASIC, has launched fresh legal action against the former directors of the UPLA Insurance Group, alleging they breached their obligations as company directors. Deborah Grog reports. For almost 30 years, thousands of Indigenous people across Australia paid into a fund that was meant to provide insurance cover for funerals. But that fund, known as the Aboriginal Community Benefit Fund, or UPLA, collapsed in March last year, leaving more than 10,000 families without cover. Figures later released by the group's liquidators revealed over $174 million had been paid to UPLA since 1992, with over $169 million debited from Centrelink payments. Bettina Cooper from the Save Sorry Business Coalition told NITV News at that time urgent action was required to ensure no one was left unable to bury their family members. We need a solution for all the First Nations affected by this collapse. We need one that is culturally appropriate, that culturally consulted with, and that allows for options to be provided because not one, one First Nations person is not like every other. So the three options of giving them their money back if that's what they want, giving them a, a culturally appropriate savings plan, or giving them a prepaid funeral, which is what a lot of our elders want. Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney announced a round of funding in late 2022 to allow some funerals to proceed. But the interim UPLA benefit scheme is due to expire in late 2023, with nothing yet announced to take its place to compensate UPLA policyholders. Lawyer Mark Holden, who's been advocating for the victims of the collapse, has previously told NITV more permanent solutions were required. So far, the interim measures are only going to be able to help out the uh, the 100 or so people who have been trying to make claims uh, for their funerals right now. Uh, however, though, we want to be able to have a full proper solution for these thousands of people as well too. Those more permanent arrangements continue to be worked out. The Save Sorry Business Coalition, representing First Nations communities across Australia, has been in negotiations for almost a year now with the federal government, making at least five visits to Canberra to meet with parliamentarians. A permanent UPLA scheme was not established in the May budget, but Linda Burney has promised a fair resolution. 
And now, Australia's corporate regulator, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, has found its own way forward. It's launched legal action in the federal court against the five directors of UPLA, alleging they breached their obligations as company directors. In a statement, ASIC Deputy Chair Sarah Court said the regulator seeks to hold the directors to account for their alleged governance failures and director misconduct. ASIC alleges the directors and officers maintained insurance arrangements with Crown Insurance Services Limited. ASIC alleges the defendants maintained the arrangement with Crown which moved funds into an overseas company owned and controlled by two of the directors and did not act in the best interest of the ACBF entities and members. The payments to Crown impacted the viability of the ACBF entities, and put at risk their ability to meet their commitments to members. That case will initially come before the federal court on the 7th of September. A separate case remains in progress over the Eupla Group's marketing practices. ASIC alleges in that case the company caused substantial harm to First Nations people by falsely representing that it was owned or managed by Aboriginal people and that its funeral insurance was approved by the First Nations community. Deborah Grook, SBS News. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Time for another break, but stay with us when we return. NITV Radio's Loana Grant will be in conversation with uh, career trackers Jennifer Ma Young, talking about uh, career trackers' impact on closing the gap in Indigenous education outcomes in higher education. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Career Trackers, Jennifer Ma Young. Thanks so much for joining me today on NITV Radio. Thanks for having me, Loana. Firstly, for people out there that may not have heard of Career Trackers, can you just briefly outline the important work it does supporting First Nations university students and creating pathways from graduating university through to the workplace? Sure. So, we're a national Aboriginal led organisation and we support. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders student success and careers through our mentoring pathway programs. Uh, We're also the largest professional network of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the country. We've got over 1,100 alumni who um, have been through our program. So we work with schools, universities and Australia's best known employers to empower students' success from the classroom to the boardroom. Um, What we're best known for is our internship program that creates meaningful employment pathways for university students. So we match students with our employment partners to prepare students for the world of work through leadership and professional training. Um, Students are connected with a team of dedicated advisors in the Career Trackers community and we provide year-round mentoring and advice and support for students through their studies uh, and during their internships. And can you talk about the graduation rate and the boost Career Trackers has had on the graduation rates of First Nations university students that participate in the Career Trackers program? Yes, so we can't say there's definite causality, but there's certainly a correlation between the students' participation in our program and their success at university. We find that compared to other students, a lot of Aboriginal students, our students complete university faster. And, for example, we had over 100 university students uh, receive distinctions or higher 
um, through our program and obviously with the support of their universities and their own hard work. So there's a lot of uh, great outcomes that we're seeing from students who are enrolled in the program uh, in partnership with their universities and they're doing some great things and really making that leap between study and work and helping to navigate their own success. Career Trackers has been and continues to fuel Indigenous success in education amid a national push to close the gap. Recently, Minister Jason Clark's speech at the National Press Club, plus the release of the university's Accord Interim Report and the Productivity Commission Report on Closing the Gap, have all made comments about closing the gap targets. Can you just talk us through this and the work that Career Trackers has been and continues to do to close the gap? Yeah, so we've been working uh, in the background there, um, helping to support students and helping to close some of those gaps. Um, as I said, uh, we find, uh, you know, according to the Department of Education, there are some, you know, 42% of university students complete their degrees within four years uh, and 62.5% within six years. The career trackers, students that we have in the program, they're completing their university um, degrees in four years at a rate of 59% and completing in six years uh, at 95%. So, you know, as I said, there's not, I can't say there's a causation, but there's certainly a correlation. And we do find that, and the team have talked to me quite extensively about how well students do when they're introduced to the world of work really early on in their study um, journey even before they've started university. So we have pre-university internships as well and mm. we find them very successful in supporting students even before they've landed at university. And I've had a number of friends actually go through the Career Trackers program and speak so highly of their experience and the difference that it's made to their careers and also reaching their goals. Um, how important is the role of Career Trackers, I guess, not just on individuals, but the success that flows into their communities as well and just chat through the success of the intern programs? Yeah, so what we find with, and, that, and your experience, you know, I'm really glad to hear that because that word of mouth, um, uh, spreading those great stories is really important and, you know, we know that and we know that a lot of the students that come through the program, um, they will have siblings or cousins who will also join the program so you see that ripple effect of um, the success and, you know, with some siblings encouraging their younger brothers and sisters and, and cousins to come through the program and, and how much support they've had during their studies to succeed and the different opportunities that we have. Uh, we have some, you know, six to 700 opportunities with our 200 plus employment partners. So there's the type of uh, opportunity that, you know, wasn't even, wasn't available to us more than 10, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and you know, it's really great to see that there's so much choice and opportunity for the young ones out there now. Hmm. And can you also talk through the opportunities for interns and why now is a really great time for people to start thinking and considering internships for the summer holidays coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting it early is really important. So you can um, take up the opportunities that are, are available before somebody else does. But having said that, one of the things that we make sure about with the career trackers community is that the students and all the interns don't compete with one another because we want them to be part of uh, um, 
a community. So getting in early um, and helping you to make studies not a theoretical thing, but actually make making it real for people because you can see how your studies um, impacts uh, what you want to do when you finally get a job. So you can make that connection really early and help you to build a, a, a practical understanding of what you need to know and why. And lastly, do you have any advice for anyone that's considering uh, coming onto the Career Trackers program and any final words? Uh, one of the, the biggest things, I think, is the power of the Career Trackers network. Like I said, there's over a 1,000 professionals uh, who are part of that network now. And that's a, it's a big network, and you won't know the value of that network until you're older and in your career, but you have a real potential to connect with other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with career aspirations like yourself. And um, now is a, it's never been a better time, and there's a huge amount of opportunity out there for you if you're willing to take it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining me on NITV Radio to chat about the amazing work that Career Trackers does. And as I mentioned, I've had many friends go through the program and speak so highly of it and some that actually work at uh, SBS and NITV. So, you know, you just never know where, where it will take you. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really great to chat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Now, as we edge close to the end of today's program, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio, as we continuously update this website with fresh content, some of which never makes it to the airwaves. I would also like to advise that you can find comprehensive information about the referendum by visiting the SBS Voice Referendum portal at www.sbs.com.au slash voice referendum. Well, that's all from us this Monday afternoon. I'm Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for your company this Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.